Welcome to the Turnstile Moment, a podcast about the moments in life when everything changes. Every episode of the Turnstile Moment brings you the story of someone whose life changed in an instant. You can subscribe on Apple Music or your favorite podcatcher. Here's the next story. Hi, this is Bob LeDrew. I'm the creator of the Turnstile Moment and uh, just uh, thought that I would uh, do a little opener before we get to this episode. I think I may do this on a regular basis as we uh, get more into the podcast and uh, give myself a chance to opine about what you're about to hear and what you've heard in past episodes. That being said, uh, I should also let you know that uh, you are more than welcome to email me with ideas for guests for this podcast. You can reach me at turnstylemoment at gmail.com. Turnstylemoment is all one word, and uh, gmail.com is what it is. You know what it is. Um, what you're about to hear is a story from a guy named Barry Karp. Um, I got to know Barry through his daughter, who is a uh, wonderful singer-songwriter and friend who lives here in Ottawa and um, was at a holiday celebration at uh, his daughter Andrea's house and uh, heard him telling this story and thought, gotta get this, uh, gotta get this on tape. So a few weeks later went to uh, went to meet him at his house and we recorded this. And there were two things that if I can ask you to listen for um, in this story, I think that strike me and maybe they'll strike you as well. The first thing is openness. The key to the story that Barry tells, I think, is being open to opportunities and particularly to unconventional opportunities. He is a very interesting guy, very creative guy, and that often is second nature for people who spend their lives in creative pursuits, is to be open. But I think it's something that we could all use in our daily lives, is the sense that we need to be open. And when opportunities present themselves, we need to be willing to grab hold of them, rather than freeze or or walk away from the opportunities because they just may be a bit intimidating. The second thing that strikes me as uh, I've been listening to this story and thinking about what he told me was that you have to be willing to do stuff that you don't necessarily know in this world. I'll give you a quick personal story about that. Back in the late 1980s, I was graduating from university and really didn't know what I was going to do. And so I was looking around and trying to figure out what the next thing was for me. And my girlfriend at the time, who is, is still my girlfriend, as a matter of fact, um, said, well, you know, you've always been involved in writing and literature and those sorts of things. Is there something that the local CBC, which is the public broadcaster here in Canada, is there something that the CBC could do with you or something you could do with the CBC? 
And so I literally walked into the CBC station and said, uh, in the, the small city where I grew up, and said, is there something that I can do here? Um, I'd like to learn how to do radio. And fortunately for me, someone said, yes, we can, we can help with that. It was uh, miraculous and uh, not sure it would ever happen again today. But it serves me, uh, it serves to remind me uh, that you don't always have to be completely in control and completely on top of your game to take on a new challenge that you can take on something and one of my favorite writers is Ray Bradbury and he said uh, uh, he once said something like jump off a cliff and grow your wings on the way down um, and that doesn't sound like a recipe for success but uh, you know it can be and uh, as long as you're not falling onto uh, uh, some sort of nasty rocks or something, then maybe you do need to jump off the cliff and try growing your wings on the way down. Anyway, here is uh, Barry Carp's story. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you keep listening. Please subscribe and uh, say nice things about us in iTunes, wherever you happen to catch this podcast. Here's Barry Carp. Hello, I'm Barry Karp. I live in Ottawa. I was born in Ottawa. And I left Ottawa when I was 18, but I did come back. And uh, I have a story to tell. Oh boy, busy guy me, all over the place. Toronto for many years. Needed a change, late 70s. Sitting down, scratching my head, wondering what to do. Came back to Ottawa for a little break. Read the newspaper. Noticed an ad for a job up north. Northern Ontario. What the heck? Coordinator of Aboriginal Education? Now, I had a B.Ed., I had a B.A., you know, all of that stuff. But this was peculiar. But nonetheless, I picked up the phone and I called. Ojibwe Cree Cultural Center in Timmins. And I said, I just read your ad for uh, a job, Coordinator of Aboriginal Education. The response was, how soon can you get up here? Uh -huh. Where is here? Timmins. I'm in Ottawa. How far is that? Eight hours. Oh my gosh. Um, can you give me about three days because I have to borrow my dad's car and I don't quite know how to get up there. I got to, that's fine. Okay. So three days later, I show up in Timmins. I've never been in Northern Ontario. I've never met an Aboriginal person in my life. And here I am at the Ojibwe Cree Cultural Center listening to Cree, OG Cree, Ojibwe, all that stuff. I'm like, wow. And uh, I got a room in the hotel. Anyway, I, I arrived and I said, hi, I'm here. I'm Barry Garp. I'm ready for the interview. 
And the fellow said, uh, look, uh, do us a favor, if you will. What's that? Well, we have to take an elder to the airport so she can go back to her reserve. Would you please accompany the driver and the elder? Yeah, sure, no problem. So I sat in the front, the elder was in the back, and uh, as the car took off, they were speaking Cree to one another. And I, it was fascinating listening to it, but I didn't know <laughs> what they were saying and what the discussion was. And uh, arrived at the airport, I helped her get to the plane and brought her stuff. Um, loaded it up, got back in the car and came back with this fella. And we kind of yapped a bit about life in the north and uh, got back to the cultural center and said, okay, I'm here, ready for the interview. And uh, the gentleman said, oh, you've had it already. And, no, I haven't. What do you mean? Oh, yes. We know all about you. We know that you are not a racist. We know that you have an open heart, that you are, you know, all of this stuff. The job is yours. Oh my God. <laughs> How soon can you move up to Timmins? Well, I don't know. Um, give me a few weeks. Okay, no problem. So, <laughs> went back to Ottawa told my wife, and she had just found the perfect job for herself in Ottawa, making clothes and designing and all that stuff. She was a little upset, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, we packed our bags, rented a truck, brought everything up, found a place to live, and, uh, and I started to work for uh, the Aboriginal community. Revealed something about Aboriginal people that they have a sense of they can see right through you. They don't have to ask questions. <laughs> they got answers very quickly. That they have keen powers of observation and analysis, and I was just blown away. It, it was quite amazing and challenging for me, a non-Aboriginal person. Um, but I liked them, and they liked me. Because, I mean, I was, you know, as an actor, you're totally open-minded, you're neutral, you accept everything. And, uh, and here I am, going, you know, traveling around from reserve to reserve, all the way up to the James Bay and over to Manitoba. And holy mackerel! <laughs> I always in a helicopter because there are no roads. <laughs> you know, these are isolated places, and I didn't even know what that was until I started working there. The thing that excited me the most is, uh, well, excited, I don't know if that's the right word. They would hire teachers to work in the schools on the reserve. These are teachers that knew nothing about Native people. And uh, some of them were really quite abusive. Um, you know, and I can remember hearing about one, so I went up to Kepiskasing and uh, was in his class. It was winter time, and <laughs> the kids would show up with their mucklucks, their winter boots. And I remember him looking down and saying, 
Hey, what's that on your foot? It's my mucklucks, sir. Take it off. That's not a real show. And <laughs> two weeks later, I got him fired. <laughs> and, uh, the curriculum was a crap for Aboriginal people. History of Canada, three paragraphs on the contribution of Native people, no pictures. I couldn't believe it. This is just a slap in the face for these poor kids, you know. So I ended up writing uh, six books. <laughs> one is used in the, in the curriculum, one on the, uh, it was called the Mushkekawak, the Cree of James Bay, and uh, the other on the Métis, because uh, there were many Métis people. And uh, that really helped out. It, it helped me out, too, because, you know, here's a guy that didn't make it to the end of grade 11, <laughs> writing books, you know, getting them published. Holy mackerel. Turned my life around. I, I was very, very impressed. Talk about, talk about what you learned in your time there. Talk about what the place and the people taught you. Wow. Well, I learned what non-urban life was like. It, 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 it's incredible. You know, I would, I would stay on a reserve for a week or so, and they'd you know, be put up in someone's house. And the food was different. The days were different. There's no transportation. There's no cars. <laughs> it's just boggling. It's mind-boggling. It's wonderful. And I went, I'd go out hunting with the elders, uh, you know, and uh, holy mackerel, hunting geese. Geese? Why do you hunt geese? Good food. Really? Oh, boy. <laughs> they invited me over later in the night, and was it ever good? You know? <laughs> and uh, moose, and, you know, I, I got familiar with Mother Nature, and I really wasn't before. I was an urban guy. And uh, didn't even I didn't know anything about you know trees and all the stuff that is alive mm. up north. So that uh, really helped me, really opened me up. The the interesting thing I mentioned, did I have the fertility mass? No, not yet. Ah ha 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 ha. Okay. <laughs> I'm an actor, um, I'm physical theater person, mime, clown, the whole thing. I collected a large uh, number of masks, neutral character, uh, larval masks, the whole thing. They were tools of my trade. I performed with them all over the place and uh, taught with them. And I brought them up to uh, Timmins. And um, also up to um, uh, James Bay when we lived in Moose Factory. There were other masks that uh, I encountered in Timmins when the librarian, the head of the library at the Ojibwe Creek Cultural Center, her mom passed away. And uh, she said she's got to go across the province of the funeral. And then she called me and told me that, you know, I, I know you love masks, so did my mom. She's got a big collection, I want to give them to you. Okay. So they arrived. 
I'd never seen anything like it before. There were six of them. I put them up in the basement and looked at them, I'm scratching my head. I took pictures, I sent them all over the world. I never heard anything from anybody. I just basically, what are these? Where are they from? Nobody said anything until I got a call a year later from an elder in Upper New York State. His name was John Christ John. And he said, I saw pictures of the masks. Where are they? I said, well, I've got them down in the rec room. Where? In the basement. Any windows? No. Move them. Where? De describe every room in the house. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> it was a story and a half house. So I did. Tell me what trees are outside, where the windows are, where the sun is, you know. Holy mackerel. So I went all the way up. I'm in the master bedroom. And he said, ah, that's where they should go. Okay. Now I'm in my late 30s. I've been married three times. I'm unproductive in terms of making children. The masks were put up. He said, burn sweet grass to them, pray to them, heaven and earth. I don't speak Cree very, it doesn't matter, any language. Okay, so I started. Nine months later, my first child was born. <laughs> when my wife got pregnant, I called up John, Christ John, the elder. I said, what is going on here? Is there a coefficient of correlation between the two? And he said, Ah, now I know the masks are still alive. What do you mean? They're fertility masks for my people. What? <laughs> as soon as the child is born, please let me know. And I will come up and, you know, bring them back to my people. That was a mission that I was given, actually, when I got hired. A return to the... Uh, uh, native people, as many of the sacred objects that were taken from them many, many centuries ago. And uh, so, Andrea was born. <laughs> A few days later, he shows up. He's an elder all the way from New York State to northern, you know, up to Timmins, uh, northern Ontario. Incredible. And he's there all dressed in his gab, his garb. Uh, with his drum, drumming and singing with another elder. And uh, he, I opened the door for him. Uh, he knew exactly where to go. He went up, shut the door in the bedroom. He was there for two hours praying and singing. And uh, there were six masks. He ended up taking four of them back. I said, but there are six. He said, I don't know what those two are. Oh, but these are sacred masks for back to the Mohawk and uh, which was amazing <laughs> in every sense of the word well it's another world and it's very important to Aboriginal people you know there's uh, there's uh, the great spirit and uh, connections have to be made like I, I can another experience I can recall we're going to make a movie about life up north. And uh, I went with got a couple of elders to come into the bush. And uh, 
got the cameras, everything is ready to go. And it starts to pour rain. Oh, oh no, we have to postpone it. We'll have to, you know, set up our tents somewhere else, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the elder said, uh, just relax for a second. He got his stuff and his drum and everything, and he went into the bush. He came back about an hour later. The rain had stopped. I said, what happened? He said, I was talking to the uh, spirit, the great spirit, asked him to uh, just move the clouds away for a while till we got our job done, and then he's welcome to bring them back. Whoa! <laughs> we made the movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a, a synagogue goer or a church goer, but uh, I certainly do believe in the spirit world. And uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, instead of getting all depressed and sad, I mean, you can open up to, to that world and, and uh, deal with your tension. So... Uh, Yes, it did. It completely changed my way of looking at things. I, I wasn't this urban guy, you know, being careful of crossing the street and getting hit by a car and how much money am I earning. I mean, none of that became important anymore. Mm. You know, it was just what I was doing to work with people and, and to help the world. There are different kinds of masks. Mm. There are theatrical masks, which change you. Um, you put it on, you become whatever the character is, you take it off, you're yourself again. And then there are power masks, we call them, that if you come in contact with them, they'll change your life forever. Forever. So it's just two different worlds here, you mm. know. And, uh, and that, you no, know, those power masks did change my life. I mean, I became a, a father. I, I could see the world from a different point of view. Not just, uh, okay, I got 40 hours in at uh, $12 an hour. That means I got, forget it, man. <laughs> just love life and see it differently. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Turnstile Moment using your favorite podcatcher. Do you have a Turnstile Moment you'd like to share? If you do, please drop us a note at turnstilemoment at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, tell a friend about it in any way that suits you. And please rate us and leave a review on Apple Music. <laughs>